Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to another episode of Wild Wild Podcast and we are midway through, I think we're about halfway through our Poliziotesky season and so we'll get to our film in a moment but first of all I must introduce my uh, co-host on this adventure, Rod Barnett. Hello Rod. Uh, hello Adrian, how have you been doing man? Well I'm good and uh, how are you? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I'm uh, uh, I'm living a less stressful life these days, and I'm pretty happy about it. Oh, that's nice. You should uh, make a podcast about that. <laughs> I, I used to joke years ago. I used to joke that there was a there was a podcast about every. I mean, literally everything. And these days, it is more true than ever. So, if I were to just do a side podcast where for like 15 minutes once a week, I just talked about my levels of stress it wouldn't be the first i would not be the first person to do something no. so ridiculous <laughs> because the last thing that you need right now is uh, is more podcasts <laughs> no kidding <laughs> i was uh, i was yesterday i recorded for uh, i recorded with another person for uh, their their podcast and uh was forcefully reminded about uh i, I often say yeah, 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 I have a couple of podcasts myself, and I was forcefully reminded, no, 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 you actually have three regular podcasts. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. There's Wild Wild Podcasts. Yeah. I keep forgetting. <laughs> well, you know, you're, yeah, at least as we've said before, you um, you don't have to do the uh, the boring technical stuff on this one. So uh, you get to just wax lyrical. Exactly. Which is the, which is the best way, I think. Yeah, you, you know, it was your idea, so you have to do the heavy lifting. Exactly. It's great. Now, um, I have a bit of a bone to pick with you, Rod. Oh, okay, sure. Because I listened to your feedback episode of the Bloody Pit. Yes. 
when I and imagine my amusement. Oh, wait a minute. You mean uh, the Nashicast one, right? Oh, was it the Nashicast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it was the Nashicast. Uh, you did a feedback episode, and imagine my 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 horror when all of a sudden I heard you start talking about me. And I and this is one of the rare times where I hadn't sent you any feedback. Oh, I and, know, I know, I know. <laughs> and um, if I might just put a clip. I'm going to run a little clip of of what you had to say about me. Right oh my here. goodness! You're, you're telling me that my my own statements are now being used against me. And yeah, this is not a court of law. I want to I, point this I out. I present I present uh, evidence number one. Uh, but uh, I'm I'm always in awe of people like uh, of people who live yeah. in Europe. Uh, Adrian, uh, Adrian Smith, the uh, the, the mm. guy I do the uh, do Wild Wild podcast with, uh, he's about to go back to Italy again. Oh yeah, for a visit. And he's he, and he all and he always does go and find you know like a couple of specific specific sites uh-huh. from some film or another. He like you know he looks them up and he and he yeah. you know he gets he Google Maps them or whatever he does and he goes and finds them, and uh, that's. That that that's that's amazing. I mean, you know, they're 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 the people who go to visit Rome and they visit the Parthenon and yeah, and, right. and the things like that. And they're uh-huh. they're those of us who are like, hey, where are the steps where that guy was killed in that movie? Yeah. <laughs> of course, we are of that set. So. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Not that that much of a surprise, but you know, for Adrian, it's just a you know, hop, yeah. skip, and a jump. I mean, sure, you know, sure. it's. It's a uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, well, you could probably ferry across the channel and then hop mm-hmm. on the freaking train, <laughs> bastard. <laughs> Ah, Adrian, Adrian, glad you're a friend, man. But geez, <sighs> yeah. Anyway. Stop living such a cool life. We do. Yeah, we demand it. Yeah, doctorate having <laughs> bastard, you. <laughs> so, um, what what amused me particularly when you played when you said that uh, when I listened to that, I think was that I just actually popped over to Europe for a day. Well, of course you um, had. <laughs> so last weekend, um, me and my two boys, we drove to France and just spent a day out in France. Now, uh, I didn't visit any film locations that I'm aware of on this particular trip. Um, but it did amuse me that I can, I guess I can, because I'm so close, I can take it for granted a little bit how easy it is to just plan an impromptu trip to France or wherever yes it's <laughs> it's something that uh that uh not not only would i employ the word envious i would employ the word or the the phrase you bastard so yes yeah mind you you've got very easy access to visit all the film locations that have been shot in and around nashville of which there are several i'm sure <laughs> there are this is true um sometimes i visit them and i have no clue that i'm visiting them so <laughs> yeah um but the but also i am gonna um upset you further i imagine oh my because goodness. in about in about six weeks time is this to I be our going, last episode should i be throwing could, down something might, and acting all indignant what might turn out that way in about six weeks i've probably mentioned it on the podcast before i am going to italy for a week Yes, and I was aware. Yes. What? What? Um, but with this film, so tonight's film, tonight's film. I sound like a TV <laughs> presenter. Uh, today's film, Savage Three, is uh, was I didn't realize until I was watching it that it's all set in Turin, or Torino, and um, I'm going to Turin. So I was like, oh, I can go and find the locations from this film, and then that will really annoy Rod. So. Uh, I will do my best, um, but one, all, most of the film is sort of fairly 
nondescript locations that I would be hard pressed to find. I think. I think but the stadium is, is, is. I'm assuming the stadium is still there, but I probably yeah, probably doesn't true. still look the same way. You know, no. decades later, but. But there's one moment in the film that's a quite an iconic moment that's on the poster um, that I reckon I can probably locate because so if you see the poster for Savage Three, oh, you mean the the or, statue, yeah. That yeah. So there's a guy hanging upside down um, by his feet, and in the movie, they so we'll get to the plot in a minute. But there's one particular murder, and the police find this guy, and he's been hung upside down. Of some scaffolding, which is surrounding a statue of uh, a knight on horseback, and so um, last night uh, we were watching the Eurovision Song Contest, which is the world's biggest uh, singing competition, I suppose, and um, and it was in Turin this year because Italy won it last year with Monoskin, so. Um, I already had Turin, so in fact, I, I, I liked the uh, sort of convergence here, but I just watched a film set in Turin, and then I'm watching the Eurovision Song Contest, which is in Turin, and the opening sequence of the uh, the Song Contest, they had a big crowd of people playing musical instruments in a big square in Turin, so the camera is kind of panning around the square, and it's already beautiful and Italian. Hang on, and it was the uh, it was the the guy on the on horseback that we see in this movie. <laughs> so it was the, so um, their big kind of look at Turin and how beautiful it is. Location was the main square, which turns out to be where this guy gets killed and hung off scaffolding. So I think that's probably going to be quite an easy place for me to find if it's their big main square in Turin. Yeah, it's, but I, anyway, I would think so. Yeah. So there you go. So the Eurovision Song Contest and Savage Three, brought together not only by me watching them both in the same week, <laughs> but also by sharing uh, locations. So I thought that was quite an interesting coincidence. See my complete disinterest in uh, song yeah. contests of any type of any yeah. type it would keep me from ever knowing this if you had not brought oh, it to my attention. So there you go. It's a fascinating, I'm sure, uh, <laughs> a bit of trivia that I've shared with everybody. Well, I would um, dearly love to visit uh, Turin, uh, yeah, Tur- or Turin, or however they're going to pronounce it over there. Uh, yeah, well, they say they say Torino, Torino, and yeah. and, they, and they also pronounce it Roma, throwing an extra yeah. vowel into a word that's unnecessary. Isn't that nice, uh, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That that statue that that just looks like a beautiful, uh, a, mm. a beautiful piece of art. I would love to see it. So yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there you go. Anyway, so uh, I will um, be posting photos and boring everybody once I'm there. (laughs) So don't worry, listeners, you will get the chance to share my trip with me. Um, And of course, also in in Turin, uh, later this month, they are open. Oh, no, actually, it's already open. There's, um, I mean, you see it. They they actually mention the the location in this film of the uh, what is now Italy's National Film Museum 
Hmm. It's in a building called, I think it's called the Mole Antonella or something like that. But they mention it in here. And uh, that's where the film museum is. And they've got a big Dario Argento exhibition. So I shall be going to that too. But anyway, I don't just want to make people jealous of my holiday. Uh, even though I can't stop talking about it. Yes, your jet-setting life, yes. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's get to the film. Savage 3, also known as Fango Balente, which I had to admit, I had to look up because I didn't know what Fango meant. And it turns out that the original title of this film translates into Boiling Mud. Boiling Mud, really? I know, yeah. Fango Balente. You know, um, that actually, that's not a bad idea for a title. Yeah, but it doesn't particularly work for me. Uh, there's no... Unless I missed something, there's no particular mud in this film, so I'm not entirely sure. It might be, it might have a different meaning. Maybe it's a, a phrase in Italian that I'm unaware of. I um, don't know. But the like the literal translation is boiling mud, but perhaps perhaps it refers to something that means something in Italy, but clearly didn't mean anything to anyone else, which is why they retitled it with uh, Savage Three instead of just a direct translation. So I don't know. If there's any Italian speakers listening who are aware of that classic old phrase boiling <laughs> fango valente let us know because on the surface that's a really odd name for this movie um well i think the uh the the french title was uh les les furieuses which is you know the furious ones or the Fur yeah. you know which is a, a pretty decent title for this as well yeah the IMDb says this film is also known as Hot Mud. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure, like, yeah, Hot Mud. Yes, um, if, you, if you directly uh, translate the title, apparently, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, there's other things that could have been better. Like, they could, I'm surprised they didn't go with something with mice in the title, like Three Blind Mice or something. Well, there's I, a, I, yeah, I kept waiting for there to be some kind of even if it was just ellipt you know kind of an elliptic reference to the idea yeah. of uh you know equating the human beings the three humans with the three blind mice you know the it, it because they are they are blinded with their rage just this this unfocused rage that just boils up out of them yeah. at the slightest provocation it's it's uh but then again i think it it's probably probably best that they didn't pull the trigger on that very obvious kind of no, one to it's one already, com comparison because they're already yeah, kind of beating you over the head the with some stuff yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but weirdly on the poster there is a rat i suppose a white mouse is less evil looking so <laughs> yes. they put a rat on the poster instead even though it's actually a load of mice um so vittorio solano is the director of this one um and the writer is somebody that we've definitely talked about before, which is Ernesto Gastaldi, mm -hmm. who's kind of, you know, Italian cinema royalty when it comes to these kind of things. But were you familiar with any of this director's other works? He's actually only directed four films. 
No, um, I was completely maybe, unaware of his work until yeah. seeing this film. Mainly, he was a writer. He's written other things. Yeah, uh, he wrote some westerns and things. Um, but yeah, so it turns out that he made another Poliziotesky type film called "No, the Case Is Happily Resolved," um, which is also on the Arrow box set. So this Gears of Lead Arrow Blu-ray box set that came out last year actually contains two of his movies mm-hmm. um, which is not bad I suppose for, for a director who only made four films well that was the it's... funny thing I did some research and I because I, I thought it was funny that in this one box set we kind of incidentally or accidentally have half of this guy's directorial credits and then I looked up yeah. his other directorial credits and honestly we may have more than half here considering that uh, what's listed as his last directorial effort um, he may or may not. I, basically, it seems like he came in and, and like finished something that, uh, strangely enough, Ernesto Gastaldi was directing. Oh, um, right. So he may not have really been the director on it. He may have just been someone who came in to kind of help out. So not not not, not necessarily really the director on that fourth film listed is coming out in 1981. Oh, okay. So yeah, he's also he's also only listed as co-director on his first film, Libido. Mm-hmm. Again, with with Ernesto Gastaldi. Exactly. So, so it's, it may be one of those things where we have like a hundred percent of his actual <laughs> yeah <laughs> directorial so, efforts here. So I mean, the you know the, the actual, ones that are really signed by him. So. Yeah. So it's an actual like it's like basically a Vittorio Salerno box set. <laughs> uh, Accidentally, with, yes. With three bonus movies. Yeah, but of course Gastaldi, um, he. Uh, has had an amazing career. He's written yeah. more than a hundred films. You know, you could pick any one of his uh, any one of his movies is some kind of cult classic. Um, are there any particular favorites for you in oh, his wow. uh, well in his list of movies? I'm a yes, definitely. But you you talk about how many films he wrote. He's one of those guys who I became aware of early on in my lunatic fandom in the 1990s because there was a wonderful interview with him in Video Watchdog back during that period that kind of you know brought some real sharp attention to him. But honestly, his name pops up so often in even in just the genre stuff that I'm most interested in that you would, no matter what you did, you'd, you'd, you'd eventually take notice of him. I mean, this is the man who's responsible for the horrible Dr. Hickok and uh, the Whip in the Body and uh, Crypt of the Vampire, uh, Long Hair of Death, uh, the, just a long, yeah. long list. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm leaving out the... the the, the, the spaghetti westerns and the adventure films like Avenger of the Seven Seas and and uh, things of that nature. But then, honestly, once you get it, that, those are just in the '60s, right? Once you get into the '70s, there's a there's a I don't know if it was just that he got better and better opportunities, or became a better and better screenwriter, or he just was able to get his name his name had such cachet that he was able to actually get more of his stuff produced. But I mean, this this man's responsible for so sweet, so perverse. Um, the Forbidden Photos of a Lady Above Suspicion, The Secret Vice of Mrs. Ward, uh, All the Colors of the Dark, Death Walks on High Heels, 
case of the bloody iris, your vice is a locked room and only I have the key. Death walks at midnight. Torso. Torso, the grand duel. Violent Uh professionals. My name is nobody, which is a freaking comedy people. Yeah. Uh, Almost Human, which is one of the most despicable of the uh, the, the Italian crime yeah. films. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's incredible the number of films. I mean, we'll 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 later in the season talk about another one of his films, The Cynic, the Rat, and the Fist. Um, yeah. uh, and then you start looking at. I mean, he moved with the times. So, The Great Alligator, <laughs> uh, twenty nineteen after the fall of New York. <laughs> um. I hear, I don't know, I, I haven't been able to like do any research in this. I understand he may have had some uh, some touch-up work involved on the screenplay for Once Upon a Time in America for Sergio Leone, yeah. Um, yeah. which would not shock me at all considering his high level of capability. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, talk, talk about a guy who, who whose career as a scriptwriter threads its way through the truly my, my truly beloved period of European cinema from the sixties through the eighties. I mean, those are the those are the decades that I gravitate toward, and he is just all over that that period. Yeah. I think I've met him. Really? I think so. Actually, See, another on. reason to just call you a bastard. I'm telling you. <laughs> hang on, like, wait a minute, because I need to go and have a look. Because I I think I got him to sign something for me, but I can't remember uh... if it was him. Give me like 10 seconds. Hang on. So I have here, actually, this isn't going to help because I can't tell whose signature is whose here. Um, (laughs) So I went to a conference in Rome. It was all based around The Strange Vice and Mrs. Ward. Okay. And I'm pretty sure Ernesto Gastaldi was there. Sergio Martino was there. I'm holding in my hand here my signed um, DVD cover. But it's quite hard to tell, actually. I'm pretty sure he was. I've got George Hilton on here. Um, Sergio Martino. And then there's two others I can't read. I think one of them might be Nora Orlandi. She was there. The Who did the score. Hmm. I think it was. I think Ernesto Gastaldi was there as well. Anyway, I'll have to look it up but <laughs> and see if he was down listed as one of the guests. Basically, I went to this thing and they were doing a screening of the film at this little cinema just around the corner from the um, the Trevi Fountain in Rome. And it was the day that I arrived in Rome and I couldn't find this cinema. I knew it was near the Trevi fans, but I could not find it. I was going around in circles. Hmm. I ended up asking asking a policeman where it was. This Italian policeman. And I was dragging my suitcase behind me. It was so hot and I couldn't find this place. And I eventually found it. And then so at the end of the screening, I got there just as the film was finishing. But then they had a whole bunch of people there. And um, yeah, I'm sure he was one of them. Uh, Anyway, there you go. So I'd forgotten about that. But yeah, pretty sure Ernesto Gastaldi, because he is still alive. He's still around. He's retired. Yeah, he's yeah, yeah. Around. As a matter of fact, so, uh, a number of his, um, a number of books he's written, novels, uh, are, yeah. uh, have been uh, recently, in, in the past few years, been published in English. So. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so he's a very important figure in, in all of this stuff. 
Um, another big name, I suppose, that we would attach to this film is Joe D'Alessandro, mm-hmm. who sounds Italian. It's <laughs> an Italian-sounding name. But he definitely but is not. No. <laughs> so um, he's a fascinating character, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Um, he um, started out... I mean, you know, I'm sure most people know the stories, how he started out with Andy Warhol... He just had some friends who invited him down to Andy Warhol's factory. I think he was probably only about 18 or something. And he almost immediately got thrown. I think in one interview I saw the very first time he visited the factory, he got put in a film. Yeah, 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 put uh, in front of the camera, let's put it that way. Yeah, well, yeah, (laughs) that's true. Andy Warhol's films were not necessarily films in the conventional sense, but... um, yeah, he's got this very, uh, like, I don't know what you want to call them, very impressive cheekbones. Like, his facial structure is so, well, what am I trying to say? He's very beautiful. He's a beautiful man. He's a strikingly he, handsome man. Yeah. Yes. When he was really young then and in those films, obviously he was just so good looking that they mm. soon started building films around him, particularly Trash and Heat were were the most well known ones but then he um he took off to europe and did several films in europe i don't think he spoke italian no he did no, but it, what, it, what it was is he followed paul morrissey the man who was making those films with warhol yeah and that's what you know that they made uh uh you know flesh for frankenstein and blood for dracula and mm-hmm. when morrissey went home joe delisandro just stuck around yeah well why not well, yeah, I mean, because he was getting offers. I mean, he was getting offers to be in other people's films, whether he spoke yeah. the language or not, you know, hire a translator and move on. He wasn't getting Hollywood offers. And I guess, you know, Warhol was moving away from film uh, around this sort of time. And um, and yeah, he was, I guess, because Andy Warhol's films were so sort of controversial in America and in the UK, often subject to censorship and some of them were just banned. Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure Flesh was seized by the police on more than one occasion here in the UK. Um, but in Europe, they didn't care about all that stuff. You know, Andy Warhol's films were much more; they they felt much more like sort of European New Wave kind of films mm-hmm. because you know there was a lack of a clear narrative structure. They would be shot in an almost sort of quite amateur way which they loved in Europe. So I guess for them, he was a big star. Whereas in Hollywood, there was no th- no thought of ever casting him. Well, I mean, it, it is... Um... It is an odd thing when you when you can actually hear him in those earlier films. When you when you hear him in Flesh for, Flesh for Frankenstein and Blood for Dracula, it's like, what is this dude from Brooklyn doing in Europe? What is happening here? But, you know, luckily for for uh, Italian cinema, I mean, he was going to be dubbed. All this, all of his work yeah. was going to be post-dubbed anyway, so it didn't really matter what he actually sounded like. So, I mean, it sort of adds, his New York accent really kind of adds to the whole surreal, sort of off-the-wall kind of sense that you get with those films. I mean, they are correct, hilarious. Correct. But at the same time, the, you know, the, the uh, for, that's something that Americans often forget, is that for Euro- European audiences... Even if you're hearing his accent, to them it just sounds exotic. It just sounds like you know yeah. something that um, is different to the ear, and therefore, honestly, uh, quite often quite pleasing. I remember I remember years ago learning 
just how pleasing to the uh, to the ear for a lot of Europeans the American Southern accent is to the point where they would they would ask people from the South to just to just speak just to hear that accent uh, because they really liked listening to it and of course the 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 one to one on that is how much Americans love listening to a you know we we fall down sprawling on the floor for a, uh, for a certain type of British posh accent. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's just what, what seems to be, um, let's just say in your native, in your native land, something that can make you sound un, uneducated or, uh, ridiculous in, uh, in, an, in another country to other ears can actually make you sound exotic, interesting, and fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. He had a great career, um, and uh, and yeah, you can you can clearly tell in this film that he's being dubbed because his lips are very often clearly saying something completely different to what we're hearing. <laughs> yes, but um, but it sort of works because the whole film is built around these three young guys who have become completely disconnected from the world around them, and the fact that his his words don't even appear to be really coming out of his mouth just sort of adds to that complete sense of dislocation and disconnection so it doesn't you know it doesn't work against the film at all i don't think well no i mean and plus i'm you you may be of this mindset as well i'm so used to the the admittedly in my opinion admittedly excellent dubbing of the period because the further away from the 60s and 70s uh you get with dubbed films, the less the less artistry there seemed to be in it, uh, so uh, it does not throw me off at all. I mean, plus the the version of the film that the version of Savage Three that we have here is the Italian version anyway. So the only mm-hmm. one who seems to be speaking, uh, whose 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 voice or whose lip movements don't seem to match what's actually coming out of the speakers is actually D'Alessandro in the first place because he's speaking his lines in English. But the um, the the dubbing has never bothered me i guess i've just it, it it didn't i mean i guess in my earlier years it probably did but it it has been a long time since those complaints about uh oh the dubbing really really uh threw me off and really really bothered me it's like i, yeah. I do not understand that reaction anymore i've <laughs> just something that i left behind not long ago no and i'm sure people who are listening to this are all very much in the same mindset i would imagine yeah, probably um, so. It's just you just take it all as it comes. So let's talk a little bit about the story of uh, of Savage Three. Okay. Um, I don't want to give it all away because I think this is a film that if you've never seen it before, and it is rela- until the Blu-ray came out, it's not one of the more well-known crime films. So many people may not have seen it. So I don't want to give too much away. Okay. Um, so we've got a hero, if you like. We're well, not really the hero, the anti-hero, <laughs> Joe D'Alessandro. Let's just say central, plays, char- central character. How's that? Yeah. Plays a character called Ovidio. Um, and I quite like the fact that he's called Ovidio because it sounds a bit like video. And he works okay. in some kind of fledgling computer company where computers are the size of rooms. Um, and you get to see a lot of very early computer technology in this film. And the, the camera is sort of almost fetishistic in its continual close-ups of all this technology. And um, there's even a reference at one point to how this computer... Oh, it could do some more calculations. It's got it's got two spare megabytes. I'm like, ooh. 
That's you know, and it's the size of my car. <laughs> yeah, essentially that that gigantic you know si- you know s- computer that it takes up an entire floor of this building. Yeah, is has less computing power than a phone these days, and so. and it's got these guys who are just sort of feeding bits of card into it. I think they they kind of had to pre-prepare the, oh, the, the punch data card stuff, on, yeah. on punch cards, and then they get fed into the computer. And yeah, it's an interesting thing. So yeah, so it's unusual. It almost feels like you're watching a science fiction film. At I times, know that so. bu- that that building that they they filmed in. It was an actual. Uh, they they got access to this building. I forget what company it was. Um, I want to say IBM, but I also know that's wrong. But right. the uh, yeah, something like that, though, isn't it? Yeah. But they're the, all wearing matching shiny coats. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll, from what I understand, that was an attempt to keep the levels of dust down as much as possible because. Those Ooh. those punch cards. No matter what you do, if you're you know if you're using things like that, I, I know too much about this garbage, needlessly. But it you know essentially, <laughs> uh, you'd have to clean those machines on a regular basis because those punch cards moving through there. You know, no matter what you do, dust flakes off of those things, mm. and so uh, trying 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 desperately to keep as much you know detritus out of the air as possible which you know when you're feeding paper through a computer i mean come on how what good is it really going to do mm-hmm. but it does once again it, it presents an image that uh, kind of furthers one of the uh, the under one of the uh well i was going to say subtextual ideas of the story but man sometimes it's just text yeah <laughs> so i mean rod you work in computing don't you? No, I you, I used to, to work around to. computers. Yeah, uh, I am much less stressed nowadays because I do not I do no longer work for that particular company. Oh, thank see. goodness. Well done. And had they had they upgraded from the punch card system yet? <laughs> yes, they'd upgraded from the punch card system to the punch their employees system uh, uh, long ago. Much, much more effective. Oh yeah. Although, yeah. I mean, well, in that case, this film must have giving you flashbacks because there's a lot of that as well like the, there's a boss who is constantly hassling his employees yeah about their accuracy and i mean i don't know how i think there's where he goes up to complain to one of the other guys in the film who is uh his name's giacomo and um he's like your your accuracy is uh you've been accurate by 30 percent, and all he's doing is sitting at a conveyor belt sticking bits of card in like how how accurate slash inaccurate can you be at that job? Good question. So they're they're cl- so they've got three guys who have three friends who work in this computer analysis company. This is at the foreground of technology, so they're clearly intelligent, quite successful guys. Even if the work they're doing is clearly very humdrum and mm-hmm. uh, frustrating. So this we see a bunch of shots of the computer, and then we cut to. Um, Ovidio in a in a lab where there's a scientist doing experiments with mice, and this seems to and be in the same building. He's still at work, yeah. but this is like a different floor, kind of a different department of this company. Yeah, yeah. And they've got this big long tank full of mice that's been divided up with this sort of sliding divider. So there's a few mice in each section, and they're all scrabbling around and jumping. One of them's jumping so high it looks like it's going to leap out the tank. Um. And he's talking, the scientist is talking about how if you put these things under pressure, they're very well behaved normally, but if you put them under pressure and you put them all in together and they're sort of trapped together, they will they will turn on each other. 
And so a video puts this to the test by removing a couple of the sliders until there's several mice all squished in together. And then they all start fighting each other. Um, Which is, by the way, this film, this film's theory in a nutshell. Yes, it is very on the nose. Uh, It's giving us the thesis of the movie. Yeah, right there with mice. Now, this was um, controversial because here in the UK, the BBFC cut every shot of those mice fighting each other. Oh, wow. From this film for the Blu-ray. Yeah. So when you watch the film, it just you see a close up of Ovidio's face and then it cuts to black (laughs) and then back to his face and then cuts to black again. They just left it all out, so you can still hear the music, but they cut it all out because I mean because of the the sort of rules about animal cruelty. Yeah, and it does make you wonder. I mean, obviously in Italy they had no qualms about animal cruelty at all. It would seem in film, but um, what are those mice doing to each other, and how did they make them fight each other? I don't. I, I don't know. I there, I kind of don't want to know, but I suspect that they may have sprinkled some kind of something onto the mouse <laughs> that ends up on the receiving end of all the violence. Yeah, very possible. Um, now, just a quick tip, though. I did discover that if I switched my multi-region Blu-ray player to region A, mm-hmm. and then I played this film, all of the mouse violence was there. So <laughs> it's uh, it would appear that Arrow are producing their discs so it's the same disc but they're just the packaging is different so if it's sold as a region a disc then you play it and it will play the full film but in region b it plays it with a cut out or something it was very clever yeah but yeah so uh, i discovered that i could still see the male's violence in all its horror um, (laughs) if i wanted to which was uh, interesting. So yeah, so that's the the central thing of this film. No, I'm just now. This is horrible. I'm just picturing you collecting a list of, of the animal violence that's in your collection oh. just for future reference. Yeah. Well, there is. I know for a fact that in one of the westerns on Arrow's recent spaghetti western. Box, oh, Vengeance Trails. Yeah, yeah, one of them in there was cut as well. I think it might have been the Lucio Fulci one. Hmm. I can't remember. But apparently, I've heard it's the same thing. If you switch the region, it'll play it. So, Interesting. There you go. Um, anyway, so the scientist tells him, yeah, so if you put all these things together, and, and then Joe's, oh, and then a video says, is it the same with humans? And he said, well, if you put them in a cage, and it's almost like you can hear the uh, dot, 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 dot <laughs> after the end of that line. Well, yeah, and one and of the things that I think is really fascinating is this is, they don't, <clears throat> in a film where, as as you can hear, gentle listener, uh, the the script the script and the director are are like double underlining this aspect mm-hmm. of the story before we get into the meat of watching humans react in the same way these mice do. But one of the things that they're not really double underlining because nobody speaks it out loud, nobody says it, is the idea that they're drawing a parallel visually between the little this little glass case that the the mice are in and the glass walled building that these three guys work in Mm -hmm. there's a visual similarity between what these mice are in and the work environment that these three guys are in that is one of the i i dare say subtle visual elements in the movie yeah and there's also we see that that all three of them have got problems at home oh yeah um so ovidio's wife is a doctor and she's never at home when he is she's always on night shifts 
and uh, he's frustrated that she's putting more into her career than into their marriage. And anybody um, who's ever had uh, ever ever been in a relationship with a with a doctor or a nurse can tell you that that's just something you're going to have to put up with. Yeah. Um, and then you've got Yakimo, who, who appears to live on his own, but he's got very noisy neighbors. Uh-huh. And there's quite an amusing scene where he's trying to work, and all you can hear is this couple shouting at each other next door, and this guy is accusing his wife of having an affair with the, another neighbor or something. And, He's like shouting at them and yeah. And so he's similarly, I guess, feeling under pressure at home. And then there's a scene that's it's it's almost it's like it's a like a comedy sort of farce scene. Oh I know, but it has dark Pepe, undertones though. Yeah. So the third the third friend, Pepe, goes home and in one long shot he's Which welcomed is fabulous. into his, an amazing yeah, sequence. It's really good. He goes into his house. And I think it's his mum is there. Mm-hmm. But then suddenly his entire family. So he is from the south of Italy. Um, and he's co- this constant references to him being an immigrant. Um, because right. of, in Italy, the south is very poor. And um, so they're treated quite harshly and treated as being sort of backwards and peasants and things. Um, so his entire family are in this apartment and his mum's trying to introduce him to all the families and his cousins and his uncles and his friends. And, and he's just becoming more and more upset by this entire yeah. this invasion of their house. He, yes. He's like, oh, I'm going to go lie down. And he goes into his room and that's full of people as well. Yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> And all these madness. women are following him and they're pulling on him and hanging on to him to try and talk to him. And he's desperately trying to get out. Um, and it's sort of funny, but yeah, but you can see how it would be quite distressing. Um, it's a bit, I mean, it's very, it's very cliched. They're quite stereotype, uh, stereotyped, that sort of family. But um, yeah, that's pretty funny. So that sort of sets us up that yeah, these guys have got no peace at home. They hate their jobs, and so they uh, they vent their frustrations by committing random acts of violence. Yes. So the first one we see is that at a football match they somehow manage to start a riot and then which they just leave and let the riot carry on. And it does uh, seem as if they gone. kind of it does seem that they plan to do what they do. Yeah. This is not yeah, some like random thing where their actions accidentally no, they, cause this to break yeah, out. They, they know seem what they're to doing. yeah, they they lean into it, yeah. But I guess coming back to the whole thesis about the mice it didn't take much to push all these guys into suddenly punching each other in the face. Um, uh, yeah, at a, at a sporting event in a crowded stadium? Oh, yeah. When has that ever happened? Yeah. I know, it never happens here. <laughs> this is not something that the British do. Um, but then, as if that wasn't enough, so they leave the stadium and immediately he can't find his car, so they just steal a car. I think they like steal a Jag. Mm-hmm. And they drive off in that, and then they pull over and he gets uh i think it's giacomo giacomo to oh yeah the tra- traffic stops they get they get yeah. caught in traffic and so they oh, just yeah. decide to get out of the car <laughs> so he, when he opens the car door and causes two women who are on a motorbike just coming past he knocks them off their bike and so then they steal their bike and ride off on their bike um, now, what, and and it's so so initially the their crime seems almost sort of comical what they're doing, 
but then through the film it builds and builds and builds and builds um they have an argument with a truck driver so ovidio stabs him with a screwdriver yeah yeah um which then gets them all a bit worried because this was in the broad daylight in the middle of the street and there were witnesses and it's in the newspaper and things but the the, the news the police don't seem to have any evidence to pin it on them they didn't even get the registration number and i think this in a way just sort of emboldens nvidia to think he's a bit he's kind of untouchable now if you could yeah, get away with murder in broad daylight him. yeah if you can murder a guy in broad daylight then he can do anything and so he basically does um so we just see these crimes escalating and escalating they um so this is where that one night they go to pick up a prostitute and then they end up murdering her and her pimp. Mm-hmm. And this is the the body that's then hung upside down in the in the square. Um, and it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. Uh, the way they hang the pimp from the statue is an imitation of the way in which uh, Mussolini and his and his uh, mistress oh. were hung upside down at the end of World War Two good point and yeah. that was some that wasn't turin was it but that was somewhere up in the north uh yeah yeah, yeah um, i don't think it was turin but i mean that uh they they make they make very sure that they're that this that this fellow is hung upside down in the same manner yeah uh, that's a, i hadn't even thought of that but yeah you're right um that's an interesting point um i'm now looking it up on google maps where did Mussolini die? Oh, it was um, it was by Lake Como. It was one of the towns on Como. Okay, that was it. Yeah, because they, when they sort of fled north and had their uh, Salo Republic, that was around uh, Como, which is my dream destination. Como, that's like my my dream life is living on Lake Como. Really, is so it just, maybe it's just a gorgeous place? Is that why? Is that why? oh, it's it's incredible. Yeah, hmm, okay, it's it's got everything. But also now it's it's got Mussolini, so that's interesting. <laughs> add that to the add that to the tourist list. That's a that's a that's a pretty weird weird addition. Yeah. addition. Okay, but uh, but yeah, no, that's that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that, but you're right. Yeah, I've seen those photos of Mussolini being hung from like a. Yeah, I mean, it's just something. it's just too obvious to, for it to yeah. not have been done intentionally. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. So this is where the police investigation really kicks into gear, and we see now the film is on two tracks we've got the police investigation and we've got the guys running running around causing absolute mayhem and there's an old oh there's a near the beginning of the film i forgot to mention we see the police have been given computer lessons and i'm not entirely sure what they're learning they're learning some sort of basic programming as if they can use it to help them solve well, yeah, crimes, what it I seems guess. to be yeah, what it seems to be is the point of the the longer version of the the class that they're taking. They're at the place where this is where they meet. You know, this is how they meet these three characters as well. The at least some of the police do, mm. including our our main police officer, the 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 uh, uh, commissioner. Uh, is it Santaga? Santaga, yeah, yeah. Santaga. That they this is where they meet them, and essentially, the idea is to get get the police in the habit of using or, or knowing that they can use the the these kind of computers to whittle down you know lists of suspects to kind of yeah. come to, to come to you know to kind of make their job a little easier in certain ways and it's that you know it's that period there in the 60s and 70s when computer power was 
you know, was trying to be marshaled to help, uh, to help in the, the fight against crime and, the, and, and, and just, you know, those, those huge subsets of information that you would have to, you'd have to painstakingly wind your way through. This is, uh, this is being presented to them as a way to shortcut some of that. Mm. And, um, which of the, course in this film, it doesn't, all it does is it means that he's met the killers. Yes, of and course. And he, so he can, he, quite conveniently, he's already met these guys. So he starts to realize who the, the suspects are. Well, I, I find that them. to be one of the most fascinating aspects of this because this isn't overly common within this genre, especially in Italy. This seems like a holdover from a different type of film, which is when um, the, 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 the police and the criminals actually know each other in some way. Mm. And, it, you know, the, the, the slow realization of the police, basically it's the, the, the hunter realizing that he already knows who he's hunting. Yeah. And then you have that, that dual problem of, am I only seeing this person as a suspect because I know who they are? Or is this really someone I should be concentrating on? And I think it's fascinating that 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 strange development of a relationship between the, the commissioner and a video uh, he, he, you know, he does this thing where he can, you know, he, he plays off, he plays off by, by going and talking to him one-on-one with the, uh, the idea of trying to use the computer to predict lottery numbers. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is funny as hell. I mean, cause it's great because it's exactly the kind of thing that somebody at that time and well, at any other time would think, well, is there some way to use this for, yeah. you know, simple financial gain? And this is a way for me to get a chance to talk to this guy to kind of get inside his mindset to see if he is someone that I need to pay attention to because there's something he, he senses from the beginning that there's something about this guy that's off. Yeah. And I just I, I think it's absolutely fascinating because you don't have that happen very often in these films where the the criminal and the police actually are aware of each other. They know each other before the the the, the criminal becomes a suspect. Yeah. And it shows that ultimately it's old fashioned. It's basically a, the old fashioned hunch of a seasoned detective mm-hmm. is what is what catches the killers. It's not these modern policing methods. And it's also not. So there's another police um, detective who's on the case initially who believes that these murders are politically motivated because here we are in the, right in the middle of the years of lead. Yeah. And the truck driver, I think he was a leftist. He had leftist political connections or something so they think oh he was clearly killed for political reasons and so they're sort of he's right off on the wrong track thinking that this is this is terrorism and so on but Santaga has a hunch that it's just random acts of violence Santaga is an interesting character to begin with because I mean he's he's currently in disgrace because he kind of lost his temper yeah he kind of really lost his temper in a police chase and and killed a, a suspect that he was chasing. He, he like killed him with a car. I mean, it's yeah. we get a flashback to it that shows exactly why he was kicked off the the kind of special team that goes after these kinds of people. And uh, I think it's interesting because he he kind of keeps his his thoughts to himself for a long period of time because he he doesn't want to throw this idea out there until he's pretty sure of himself. So that he doesn't put, because he's already he's already getting the side eye from his fellow officers. Yeah, no, it's pretty. Um, 
Yeah, no, it's very interesting. He's, yeah, he's a cool guy, Santaga. So he's on the case. He suspects that this is random violence. And so there's a few more. There's a particularly shocking bit of another crime where they, well, to, the lead up to it is that they all get into a taxi and then they get the taxi driver to take them to um, a, like a park. And then they basically put a gun on him to steal the taxi. And then he starts shooting at them because he's got a gun as well. Because, you know, um, why not? I'm sure all taxi drivers are armed. And, <laughs> well, um, in that period of time in Italy, yeah, I don't know. Very maybe, maybe a lot of them were. <laughs> yeah. So then um, the taxi driver starts shooting at them. So they run him over. And there's a you know, the, the stunt choreography is is really good in this film. So there's a, yes. they sort of run over him and he gets flipped into a lake and he's dead and they drive off with the taxi so that's another body for the police to pick up on and figure out what's going on here and then um meanwhile they pick up two women in their taxi and take them to this uh, deserted warehouse and it turns out that one of these women is the wife of a politician um so they're they're completely unaware of this but i yeah. i think I, th- I think it's fascinating that these two women who who are absolutely gorgeous and very clearly they're wearing you know they're wearing fur coats yeah they're wearing yeah, jewelry they're quite well off. yeah 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 there's a there's a reason they singled them out to to you know for this scheme of you know stealing the the taxi so that they could pick up someone to harass and the uh the the smarter of the two knows that they it's best to go along with this so that they don't kill us but it doesn't help <laughs> So they, yeah, they, um, well, initially, to begin with, it seems like it's going to be not fine, but like they might be okay in the end if they just submit to what these guys want. But then suddenly it cuts to like half an hour later and he's chasing her around the room with a forklift truck. And I was not expecting this at all. Um, the he kills her with the forklift truck which the 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 special effect is incredible yeah it's very effective totally took me by surprise um and it's not something it's not the kind of violence you're expecting in a film of this no no it's like something um, out of a horror film yeah and in on the imdb in the trivia sections i'm not sure where this comes from has come from an interview with the director there's a whole thing about how they did this Mm-hmm. Um, this special effect um, and I'm not going to read it all out but basically she was terrified <laughs> well, and the, and the director it's because she was so scared the director just you know he, he put himself he in her position let them, let them do it to her let them do it to him to show her look yeah. there's no way you're getting hurt doing this but um, I don't know I, I can't quite work out even reading the description oh, of well, how they did it well, I can't what, work out what, what exactly it is, the forklift was never anywhere near her, and the thing that actually touches her body is something that is attached to a rig underneath the camera. It's not even a real forklift blade. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a it's a mock up. So the thing that's you know touching her skin and supposedly pressing into her, pushing into her body, uh, and of course it's you know it's fake. It retracts. Uh, it's just yeah. something attached to the camera rig, and of course, what like, the uh, actress was afraid of was that this thing would not retract, retract the way it's supposed so, yeah, to. Yeah, like a like a retractable knife. Yeah. Uh, that's it. And then all the blood comes out of it. It's a very impressive mm-hmm. effect. 
it was really shocking and like how did they do that in one shot it's really uh Oh well, yeah, if you if you look impressive. really carefully, they they, they it, there's very smart editing. This is a well made film. There's very smart editing to fool your eye into thinking that your your brain is putting two separate shots together. It's kind oh. of impressive. Oh Rod, you've spoiled it all for us. Now. <laughs> it doesn't make it any less effective, <laughs> man. It it makes no, it. It's really I good. find it be, to be more impressive to see the artistry behind what they're doing. Yeah, no, it is. It's an amazing effect. So they've killed. We don't see, but I'm assuming they killed the other woman as well. And oh, then yeah, yeah. Um, there's a, like a guy nearby who hears the noise and he comes over to see what's going on. And he sees two of these guys. He sees uh, Ovidio and he sees Pepe. Um, but whilst he's confronting them, Yakumo comes up behind him and beats him over the head. But they don't kill him. They just leave him unconscious. And this proves to be their downfall because now there's a witness who knows what they look like yeah um so basically i think we're, i don't want to go into too much more detail because the, the how they get caught is uh is really interesting and the I, police I just, the, the just net is one tightening thing. one small yeah, on. thing that i think is amazing the guy who spo- who spots them and then gets knocked out by the third yeah uh, the, I found it fascinating that uh, you know that he's he's with the cops and he's they're trying to put together uh, from his description a picture you know an, an image of uh, one of their faces. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And because I di- I didn't know why I just thought it was a really great little addition because there's so many there's so many little touches within this film that kind of build and build and build the film into something you know both entertaining and re- you know f- fascinating. It it it, it keeps you keeps you involved the whole time and the actor who was do who who played that role uh was was known as a, a kind of comedic actor and so there's yeah. this little bit of business with whether or he not the person he's describing has a mustache or not yeah <laughs> that is i mean it's quite it's quite funny but it's exactly the kind of thing that would happen in that kind of you know thing where you're attempting to verbally describe someone yeah and it, it it's not like it's played for laugh it laughs it's not some kind of ridiculous comedic over-the-top thing it is exactly the kind of thing that would come out of that situation and it's something that was suggested by the actor himself it turns oh, out okay and it's and it's one and i'm just like well that's just making the whole work better by having that kind of very human detail built into a scene that honestly didn't really completely need to be there, but if you're going to have it there and have it add that to it, that's even better. It's, it's, yeah. it's, there's a lot of really, there's a lot of detail work in this movie that is really worth praising. I mean, this is, yeah. what's a well-made movie? Yeah. Is it, that's um, Sal Borghese. And yeah, he's in a ton of films. Again, going back to talking about prolific people, he's in, ev- he's in almost every type of genre from peplums to westerns to euro spies mm-hmm. to all sorts of things in some of the satana films um we might be covering in in a future season where we're going to look at uh the kind of fumetti films he's in some of those three superman films oh really okay <laughs> so we may end up well i mean uh, as a comedic actor he's going to end up in some of those i guess right yeah I'm just surprised he wasn't in the comedies that we've done so far, actually. But, but yeah, his his he provides some uh, some comic relief, which I think is much needed because it's it's a pretty grim film. In the um, descriptions that I've, I've been reading, some of the articles about it, uh, particularly in the book by Roberto Curti, 
and I've read it elsewhere, they compare the film to Clockwork Orange in terms of it's, yeah. you know, you've got three friends who are going out committing random acts of ultraviolence for no other reason, apparently, other than just that they're bored. Yeah, they're just thrill seekers, and it's it's yeah. it's that aspect. I mean, the, the movies do... I would not have thought about that simply because I always associate A Clockwork Orange with the kind of dystopian future, but... The, the, that is a that's an apt comparison and as soon as i yeah. as soon as i heard that i thought you know that there's a lot to that because the you know the these are these are men in their their 20s yeah and that's not that much removed from the teenagers that we see in clockwork orange who are you know they're disaffected youth and essentially these guys are in the same same position because they're 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 into they've moved into adulthood but their their circumstances have not changed enough for them to really see a separation between that childhood uh that that childhood frustration and the 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 adult world doesn't seem to be doing it for them you know they're not getting the satisfaction that they probably felt as children that they would get and so what you um you have like three different flavors of disaffected youth in these three guys you know you have the the one guy who's married a video who's who's married to an absolutely gorgeous intelligent and 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 uh uh ambitious woman and yeah. that's although is, we, we find out we find out oh, how yeah. she's managed she's, to uh, progress she's definitely ambitious career. yeah <laughs> <laughs> that scene cracked me up i was not i, I, I got to be honest it was unexpected it really was yeah yeah. We'll let we'll let the uh, listeners find out for themselves. But I mean, but she's you know, but all she's played by Martine Brochard. Sorry, oh, yeah, I'm just going to say, wonderful. Martine Brochard. She's in uh, in loads of again loads of great films. But yeah, she's really good in this. She she really is, and and so this film it presents they, all three of them present different aspects of this kind of idea of of the disaffected youth. You know, the, the, yeah. Granted, these guys are in their twenties. Okay, you're right. Yeah. But at the same time, they're they're their reactions are the same as if they were, you know, teenagers who don't seem to have enough of an understanding of what their actions are eventually going to bring down upon their heads. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a really funny scene. And it is, it's, it's like he doesn't care um, when Ovidio and his wife are invited to the, the chief surgeon's house to go shooting, to do yeah. some hunting at the weekend. And, um, Oh, that's right. Yeah, a video just plays a prank on this guy, who's the guy that's going to decide the future of his wife's career. Um, it's like he just doesn't care, like he wants to get caught. Um, an event which you know, I think is partly true that he's just he, oh, he feels like yeah. he's in, invincible and he can do whatever he wants. Um, but yeah, but anyway, I don't want to spoil more of it because this is definitely a movie to. Uh, that you, there were things occurring that you're not expecting. But. Yeah, to a degree, I have to admit, I was really shocked that this is not one that I had heard more about, and that no, I, no. you know, that I'd, ne- I'd not stumbled across in my, you know, ridiculous search for, you know, bootlegs, fi- bootleg <laughs> films of this type throughout the throughout the '90s. It's a bit. It was it really was a bit of a shock that I had not heard yeah. of this, and to find it so impressive. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, me too. I'm not aware. I was not aware of this film at all before it appeared on this box set. So, I'm glad we've had a chance to um, to to talk about it. Um, 
so yeah why not let us know what uh, what you think of savage 3 do get in touch um we've never really done feedback or voicemail um and i'm certainly not against it it's just that we don't really get any so by all means do <laughs> send us your emails um or get in touch with us on twitter those are the two best ways to find us we're also on instagram um all the links are in the show notes and but yeah let us know what you think or maybe if, if, because there are so many other politsky films that we're obviously not going to get to all of them so why not let us know what some of your favorites are and uh, what you think we should cover on our next few shows i think this is episode six now of this season or maybe it's episode five five or six anyway so we're about halfway through so if there's a film hold, you... hold on a minute i can i can tell you we can we can we can get this right man Come oh on, go on man. then this is episode five so thank you okay yeah. so so let us know if there's one you definitely want to hear us talk about then we've still got time to to, to fit it in um but yeah that's it for savage three uh from us your uh, the savage two at the wild world podcast um, uh, yes i guess this podcast is kind of our our way of explaining to the world uh our our, our sad and and uh and anti-social actions uh yeah. where where this film you know is kind of you know kind of goes out of its way to to show the reasons for the the actions of the criminals involved this podcast is our record of the reasons that we are the way we are mm-hmm that's right. It's all out there for the public to, uh, and, and, and the police if they need it, to, to analyze. Oh, but, but before we okay. go, one, one overarching yes. question to you. Mm. Um, this is, you know, in some ways, this is not a typical film of this genre. Mm, um, true. Because it does, um, the, 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 the focus is split, but the there's a larger percentage focused on the criminals we're watching the criminals and not just watching what they do but seeing the reasons behind their justifications for their actions um that's not typical uh in general you know when i think of this genre what what you're really looking at most of the time is uh you know the professional criminals you know yeah people who are you know doing doing their crimes for financial gain these guys are not doing any of this for financial gain they're thrill seekers they're they're thrill mm. killers um and that's a that that is a that is a little bit different that's a little outside the norm for this genre but to me i think that that that's something that i think is an impressive part of it that's that's a that's a plus instead of any kind of minus and i just wondered if um I, I don't know how many of this genre you have kind of absorbed over time, but did this stand out as perceptively different from those other films mm, while you're watching it or not? Yeah, that's a good point. It, um, you, you traditionally associate these films with car chases and shootouts and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, like you said, professional gangsters, drug dealers and mobsters and all that sort of stuff, and less so, yeah, these kind of criminals there's another film in the box set called like rabid dogs mm-hmm. um which i've not seen yet either yeah yeah and that's and it's actually paired it's in the same it's on the same disc i think with mm-hmm. this one and it's sort of sim it's a similar thing in the way that it focuses on this kind of gang of young people who are perf- committing crimes seemingly just for fun 
um, and then the sort of police attempting to track him down. But yeah, there's more of it. There's there's le- less of your usual police action. Um, but yeah, I'm certainly more. I come at it more from the live like a cop, die like a man angle. That's what I expect from a Poliziotesky film. Yeah, and this and, film doesn't really. I mean, it has some excite. I mean, don't get me wrong, it has some really exciting sequences, mm. but they're not. You know, it's not. I would. I would not term this an action movie. You know. No, no, and it's interesting that the. You know, it, it's whether you would even call it a Poliziotesky film. Really, it isn't. A, it's a crime film, definitely. Definitely a crime film. Yeah. But I'm not sure I would describe it as a Poliziotesky film. But looking back at what we've done so far, um, obviously, Rabid Dogs. There are no police in that at all. Right. <laughs> um, Milano Calabra 9 is primarily you're with the criminals the whole time, although they are professionals. But yeah, again, very, it's quite, very small percentage of that film is yeah, focused on the cops. Quite, yeah. quite a small amount of police action. Um, and even in you know, Blue Movie Blackmail, there's not really much police action in that at all. It's all just criminals taking care of other criminals. So, yeah, we've not actually had that much of those of the more traditional Poliziotesky type film which uh, I suppose What Have They Done to Your Daughters is perhaps the, the closest that we've come to that and even that's a hybrid yeah and our, and our main characters are the are the investigators are the police yeah. in that film so mm. so yeah so it's yeah we've we've lent quite heavily on uh, on, on, uh, on being with the criminals so far we'll have to see how it goes with some of the uh, some of the future films I know um we have got another film coming up which is also focusing on um on kind of young violent people which is uh, the film's actually called young violent and dangerous so that's one we've got got coming up which is perhaps similar but we're going to get to more traditional stuff as well don't worry (laughs) (laughs) we've got the i've put the heroin busters on the list so i think that's about as typical as you can get probably so yeah yeah but i know you're right but it just shows that there's a quite a wide within the genre there's a wide range of types of film going on it's not just one thing that happens in all these films yeah the genre is definitely it's not a monolith there's a lot of variation within that and it's and it's not something i've really thought that much about until we started covering these you know until we started really digging into these films because Mm. there's a you know there's a lot of variety within the genre even when you're saying oh yeah they all fall under this one banner but yeah yeah this it's it's kind of opened my eyes in a way i I, don't get me wrong i love i love the the genre it's just one of those things where i'd not thought too deeply about it until now yeah well good there you go here we are thinking deeply about films <laughs> on the podcast this is what we want so that could be good. our tagline yeah <laughs> yeah thanks well thanks rod um excellent as always to have you here and thank you everybody for listening and we will be back soon with more italian crime bye for now bye everyone Oh, please edit out that large gap before I said bye to because I was like, is he about to say something? Oh, my God. I'll make it longer. <laughs> really dra- really drag it out. Put in, put in like, yeah. the sound of me slurping tea or something.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.